This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. The scripture today is from Isaiah 61. It's on page 620 in your pew Bible. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy." For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Would you turn to the right in your Bibles all the way to Luke 4, page 859? Hey, my name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to be with you. If you're new with us, I'm so glad you've joined us this morning. I'm glad you're here. So turn to Luke chapter 4. If you're using a hardback Bible, that's 859. Starting in verse 16. He went up to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. This is speaking of Jesus. And the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So Jesus walks up uh, to the synagogue, walks up on the stage. He's about to announce the whole purpose of what he's about to do. 
He's about to announce his mission. Like, what is his mission going to be about? And he asks for the Isaiah scroll and he begins to unroll it. Now, they didn't have Bibles or books back then, so he wasn't able to just like plop it open to where he wanted to read. So there's this long pregnant pause as Jesus begins to unroll this scroll all the way to Isaiah 61. What is he going to read? And Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and then he sat down. And all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. They were fixed on him. And he doesn't give any commentary. (laughs) He doesn't give any sermon. There's no explanation needed at this moment. But he does give this mic drop. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray. Father God, you are gracious and kind and love us by speaking your word. (laughs) Your word is true. And when it's spoken, it speaks about how things are. It speaks reality into our broken world, the broken world out there. You are speaking reality even now as things are crumbling and the ruins Your word speaks a healing word of the way things ought to be and a healing word of the way things will be. But that's not the only way you speak. You also speak truth and the reality of how things are in here, in us. The things that are in us that want to keep you at a distance, you speak a word, a better word that draws us to you. God, you are gracious and kind to us. The places where we've got, um, places where we feel trapped, the places where we feel captive, the places where we feel, um, where we're stuck, the, the places in our life that no one knows about, you speak a word that sets us free. Really, really, really free. So God, would you, pick us up this morning? Would you carry us this morning? Would you enable our ears to hear this better word that would set us free, that would release things in us, cause us to come closer to you and experience the freedom that you give us? God, would you speak this word through your word this morning? And amen. So it's been over a year now, we've been walking through 60 plus chapters of Isaiah, just plugging along, going through all these different chapters, and they've been beating the same drum to us over and over and over again. Judgment for sin, calling for repentance, and this promise of redemption over and over and over again. And man, it has struck me how this inconstant, like, like this um, unbelievable, incomprehensibly gracious and kind God would devote so much time and power and strength to communicate his love toward us. Just over and over again, we've just been soaking in these chapters of God's unwavering commitment to make a highway for his grace 
and mercy and love. That's what we've been walking through in Isaiah. And today we come to chapter 61 where we've just been stacking up all these things in our hearts about what God is promising and what he wants to do. And we come to this chapter and every now and then we come to chapters like this in the Bible. These sections of scripture where these real grand, beautiful, like uh, overlooks of God's mission are shown to us. And that's what we come to when we come to Isaiah 61. We see God's mission and what it looks like through the ministry of Jesus. And we see specifically his ministry of transformation, this wholesale reorientation of our lives. Jesus' ministry of this upside down kingdom that we're invited into and he announces it and he ushers it in. So if you've ever wondered this morning, if you've ever wondered what Jesus came for, if you've ever been wondering like what he's been up to, like what, what is he about? If you, if you want to know like why we always keep saying at Redeemer that Jesus changes everything, we're going to get into that this morning. We're, because that's exactly what we get to unpack in these next 11 verses in chapter 61. So today we're going to see Jesus's mission and how that changes everything everything about our lives. We're going to see uh, this Messiah Jesus, like what he was anointed to do, what is his mission, and then our response, our invitation into his mission. So what's his mission? We see the Messiah Jesus announcing his mission at the beginning of chapter 61 and Apparently, there's a lot of things. Like he announces a lot of things at the beginning of this chapter that his mission is about. So here he comes. He's bringing good news. He's binding up. He's proclaiming liberty. He's opening prisons. He's proclaiming favor. And he's comforting. He's doing all of these things. But we need to back up a little bit before we jump into all this. Like we actually need to back up and ask a couple other things. But before we jump in and begin here, we actually need to back up because you see Jesus' announcement here presupposes some really important things. It presupposes some things about you. It presupposes some things about me and the way that our world is set up. See, all these accomplishments that Jesus is about doing here assume certain things about the world that he came to. You see, all of his actions, all of his solutions to the problems, his ministry, his mission needs neediness. He's presupposing something from the jump. He believes we need him to come. See, if Jesus's mission is all about bringing good news to the poor, then we should be asking, poor how? If Jesus' mission brings liberty to the captives, then we should be asking, captives of what? Like, who's my captor to begin with? If Jesus' ministry is all about binding up the brokenhearted, then we should be asking, can't I just fix myself? Like, who's, who's to say that things are broken to begin with? If Jesus' mission is all about freeing what is bound up, then we should be asking ourselves, bound how? By what? By whom? How you answer these questions um, it matters significantly. How do you answer them? How do you answer these questions? If you can't even answer these questions, then nothing from Jesus' announcement is going to mean anything for you this morning. Like, it means nothing. It's not going to be helpful. It's not going to be uh, useful for you this week. It's just going to come across pointless. You see, his mission will have nowhere to land for you. What what good will it be for us to hear Jesus' words, to reread Isaiah 61, hear me like dribble about it up here from the stage, you'll listen to it and I'll walk off and you'll just say, who cares? Like who gives a rip about that? That doesn't actually apply to my life. 
Maybe you've been along with, the, with us for this ride through all of Isaiah. It's been a long journey through this book. And you're, you're thinking through like all the things that have been said through Isaiah and there's been a disconnect for you. You haven't disobeyed God like them. Your life doesn't look much like the people that this book was written to. You're not in danger like theirs. You're not bound up by anything. You're not hopeless in your life. I'm actually doing quite fine, you might say. You see, Isaiah is writing to a real group of people who have been carried away from their homes because they haven't trusted God. They've been sent into exile as slaves, They've been bound up, they've been put into prisons and they're filled with heartache. They're heart sick. There's a lot of bad news all around the people of God. They're alone in a far country, far from the things of God. They feel like no one will ever come and rescue them. They're exiled and their future looks bleak. What about us? We're not so bleak looking, right? Think about it though. Jesus stands up in the synagogue, which is like the church building for the Jews. And he stands in front of religious people, church-going people, and walks up to the pulpit and he reads from Isaiah 61. And they're probably staring at Jesus, much like you're staring at me going, who cares? How does this apply to me? But Jesus could have grabbed any Old Testament scroll and read from anything and applied, tried to apply it better to their lives. But no, he read exactly what they needed to hear because he has something to say about himself he has something to say about me and he has something to say about you. This applies to you. He says something about himself and that Jesus begins his ministry announcing that he's bringing good news to the poor. He isn't the kind of God that sits at a distance from us. He doesn't look down from heaven and go, man, they've gotten themselves in another fix. I hope they get out of it. No, he comes toward us. Like this this prophecy is about a God who will send his son in the flesh, in the person, in ministry to move toward us in favor. Did you catch that in verse two? He's proclaiming God's favor toward you. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved, John three seventeen. See, Jesus comes joyfully with favor joyfully toward you with favor, not to condemn you, not to condemn you. So what about us? Who finds themselves in trouble this morning? Who's bound up? Who's imprisoned this morning? Let's spend a few moments here. Like, let's slow down. We can, we can get through this pretty quick, but let's actually slow down a little bit here this morning and search our hearts and ask for the Spirit of God to apply the gospel to new places that we've been chained up on. Let's ask the Spirit of God to open our eyes to things that we've been blind toward, things that we just kind of like, like motor through, things that we've just assumed are just how life goes for us. You see, Jesus says in John eight thirty four, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So you and I may never experience physical slavery, but the reality is the Bible says that we're all slaves to something much worse than that. And Romans 6 says that you're a slave to the one that you obey. Like, what are you obeying this morning that is enslaving you? He says either of sin that you're obeying, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Galatians 4.3 says that at one time, um, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In verse eight, formerly when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So let me stop us right now. 
What are you trapped by this morning? Like, what are you entrapped by this morning? What do you feel like you're stuck on this morning? Is it in your marriage? Like, are you stuck in this constant cycle of conflict and avoidance? where you're constantly falling in the same patterns of sin together. And as a result, you just start avoiding those things or stuffing them or pushing through. Are you stuck there this morning? What are you entangled in? Where do you need liberty from right now today? Are you stuck in sexual sin? This place that nobody knows about, that you just keep falling back into the same pattern and you're trying to resist it, but you're still stuck in it. And like the light of Jesus hasn't shined there and you're unable to tell anyone, you feel stuck, you feel trapped. Where are you bound up? What are you obeying? What are you thinking about constantly when you're around that person whose approval are you seeking in those moments? What are you captive to? Is it gossip? Are you talking? Do you find yourself constantly talking about that person when they're not in the room? Are you disparaging them? Like, are you constantly falling into those places Are you consistently trying to look better and do better and be better so that others will approve of you? Are you regularly finding yourselves wanting something else and something new? Are you angry? Have you grown bitter in your heart? Do you find yourself twisted up inside right now and you don't know how to get free from it? You don't know how to straighten that out, how to line that up in your heart. And who has heartbreak? Like, seriously, that's a question? Like, all of us do. All of us have experienced heartbreak. All of our hearts have been broken. All of us have been overcome by heartbreak. How many of us have been stricken by grief and broken relationships and strife and hardship? And if some of these things don't ring true for you, then you're just not old enough yet. Like the journey of life is a guarantee that you will experience these. It's coming for you. You will have to walk through this. And as I rattle off these things that entrap us right now, we're tempted to let our emotions tell us that God doesn't see us. So we even have that to battle with. God is against us. We've exhausted all of our possibilities. We're alone. We have to be strong. We have to bury our need and just keep moving. Or life is a waste. Like it doesn't matter. Just life's a waste. So why not just settle into going through the motions of life and make the best of it? So there's a lot of reasons to believe that nothing will ever change in our lives, that we're stuck, that we're trapped and nothing will ever get better. So often we settle into these circumstances and can't even imagine ever having someone come and rescue us from them. That there's a better life, that there's a way to experience freedom. And is there any devastation to feeling like God himself has forgotten about you or overlooked you? Does that sound like you this morning? Is God feel far from you? Like he doesn't even see you? And how many of us have tried to even cope with these things, right? You've got to cope somehow. Is it working more? Is it pushing through these things to eat more? Are you eating chocolate? Are you shopping? Are you binge watching TV? Are you taking illegal substances? They're all the same thing. They're all the same thing. Do you find yourself saying, if only I had the right husband, like if I could just have the right husband who treats me right, then things would be okay. Or the the right wife or their kids or the right pastors or the right friends or everything to go back to the way it was. It was better back then, but things have been screwed up now and I just need life to go back to how it was. Then I'd finally be okay then things would be how they're supposed to be and then I'd be good. But this is what traps us. 
Like this very way of thinking and operating, this imprisoned way of living is what entraps us because it's a lie, because the things that we want most become what capture us. It's the money, it's the job, it's the house, it's the neighborhood, it's the right school, it's the reputation, it's the popularity, acceptance in the in-group, it's your prestige, it's whatever you think you need to go after to get free from these things, they encapture you, they imprison you, and they're all the same thing. And our hearts run after these things instead of the living God. Are you trapped this morning? Like, are you stuck? This is how bleak our prisons are aside from the anointed Messiah, Jesus. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he sees you in the space that you're in and Jesus announces us to us today that he's changed all of that. He's come to change all of it. He's come to change all of this. He's set us free from everything. Free from our need for approval, free from pursuing comfort to make us feel better, free from trying to control all the circumstances that make us feel like out of touch or out of control. He's freed us from sin, free from the fear of man, free from the fear of death, free, like really, really, truly free. That is why Jesus came. Acts 13, 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes in him is freed from everything. Freed from which you cannot be freed by the law, of Moses. Read there from your own effort. You can't free yourself. You can't free yourself. He's come to set you free. Jesus announced that he will free you from all that entangles you, and it will change everything about your life. It will change everything about you. It'll change everything about you. And we see this in verse 3. Verse 3, instead of being a mourner with ashes on your head, you're going to have a headdress. Like you're, instead of being a mourner with ashes on your head and we feel wrapped in sackcloth and we're crushed by despair, it's replaced with this beautiful headdress like you're going to a party. That much changed. That much. Instead of being weighed down, you'll experience a change such that you now give off this beautiful aroma and pair as though you're wearing someone else's clothes because you've been changed. Like you'll be seen as different because you've been transformed from the inside out. Um, from the inside out, you'll be changed. And that's what the oils and the garments are all about in verse three. If you wanna know what Jesus came for, what he's up to, what his mission is all about, it's complete whole life transformation to set you free and to reorient all of your life toward him. It's so much transformation, so much change that he now gives us a new name. Do you see that at the end of verse three? He gives us a new name, oaks, righteous oaks. Like what's he getting at here? Well, in Isaiah 129, God judges Israel for glorifying themselves with, get this, oak trees. These people kicking off Isaiah, the first chapter, God is addressing their sin. And he says, they've been looking to these forests and this land and this wealth to prop themselves up. Like how many of us gather the things around us to create enough cushion, gather things around us to have, like to create enough self-confidence. That's what they did. 
Think about this. We're near the end of Isaiah and God wants to draw our attention all the way back to something he's mentioned in chapter one. He says, hey, do you remember when you were holding on to oak trees to glorify yourself? Like you were holding on to these trees to go, hey, we'll be okay. Like we're good enough. We're strong enough. We're powerful enough. And I told you that when you're holding on to those trees, I'm going to make the leaves wither. I'm going to cut you down and use your tender for fire and I'm going to burn you up. Like I'm gonna bring judgment to you. Self-glorifying will give you seared leaves and turn you into ashes. And then he picks that up 60 chapters later. They've looked to other things for rescuing instead of God and so have we. Let me translate New Testament language here for us. Paul says in the New Testament that you've fallen short of the glory of God. You've fallen short of his glory, which means in Romans 1.23, he says you've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. And in the 21st century, that image is the one in the mirror. Like you've exchanged the glory of God for yourself, not just some statue on a mantle, but God is gracious and long-suffering and patient. They've looked to oaks for saving and God says, I want to save you. So it's possible, it's possible for you to be recovered and transplanted and established in a new garden. That's what he's trying to say here. See, you're not recovered, you're not rescued from the prison just so you can be free from the prison. That's not his point. He's saying, instead, you'll be an oak in my garden. You're recovered from the prison, not just to be free, you're to be free and transplanted and established in a new garden. Instead of an oak of your own self-glorification, here's an oak that's a planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. It's what you were created for. It's what you're created for. See, when God created the world, he created man to glorify him. He created us to find our satisfaction in him alone and to build a culture and a world that pointed to him, that he was the most weightiest, meaningful thing in all the universe. It's what we are created for. This is called glorifying God. You see, if you're a planting of the Lord, then you live for his glory. You display his glory. You act like he's glorious in your, in your life. You, you call attention to him. You, you point to him. You reflect him. It's why you live. It's what you were created to live for. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. We're better reflectors. We point to God. That's what our lives are meant to do. And part of this looks like joining him and rebuilding what's broken. Verse four, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Here we see that the mourners in verse three become the repairers in verse four. Like we actually get to join in with God here. All the longstanding ruins in our personalities, all the broken places in us, in our homes, in our world, God promises to give it all back, to to make everything right. He promises to give back everything that sin has ruined. And here's what's crazy and unbelievable about Jesus's mission is he invites us to join him in on it. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Like it should, Redeemer family, because what we've seen is this cultivation of oaks, this holistic life transformation, this living for God's glory and building cities. I mean, this is our mission statement. 
This is our mission statement as a church. We exist to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. Like this is at the heart of our mission. This isn't mere coincidence. It's not like we came up with our mission statement, right? Like God came up with his mission statement. God is doing this. This is what he's up to in the world. We're merely wanting to tag along. We're merely just wanting to be a part of it. We want to join him in what he's already doing, which is setting captives free. We want to join him in uh, inviting, personally like stepping into our, ourselves and inviting others to get close to Jesus, to see Jesus, to be with him, to become like him because we're with him and see our lives transformed with, uh, by him which orients, reorients everything in our lives. It reorients how we relate to God himself. It reorients our vertical relationship with God. It causes us and enables us to, like, to glorify him with our lives. So that everything in our life is directed to him and finds meaning in him. But it also reorients all of our horizontal relationships. That's what we're getting at by living for the good of the city. It enables you, it reorients what you love and what you hate and what you pursue, husbands, as you love your wives. It reorients wives as you follow your husbands. It reorients parents as they give and tend to and pour into their children. It reorients the ways that that spills out of your home and affects the neighborhood that you're living in. It reorients the ways that you work, the ways that your workplaces experience you and are reoriented to the glory of God as well. That's what we're about as a church. Like this is what we're about. And then verse eight. For the Lord, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. God loves justice. Whose justice? Mine? Yours? What the city defines as justice? God is committed to restoring all of life and society back to how it's supposed to be in accordance with his kingdom. His kingdom, his rule, his love, all of that is defined and it's laid out for us all through the ministry of Jesus. How many times through the gospel of Matthew does he reorient us around his kingdom? His kingdom is really clear. He is about bringing these things to bear and to bring his kingdom on earth, which looks like justice in two ways. Let me name two ways. It means he's doubling down on his commitment to heal everything. He's doubling down on his commitment to heal everything. He will not give up. He will never break his promise. The announcement of Jesus to free the poor kicked off this worldwide mission of Jesus to reorient us around his mission that he's been on for 2,000 years. Like him announcing that he's come to set the captives free didn't just happen a long time ago. It's still happening. He is still on this mission. He is still inviting captives to be free, releasing people where they're stuck, healing the sick, healing the brokenhearted. Like that's his mission. And he's still on a mission of favor toward you, toward us, toward our city. Like that is the promise of Jesus. But it also means something else. Like, did you notice that when Jesus read Isaiah 61, he stopped short of reading a line? He read the first half of verse two saying 
that he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is his calling. But he also has another calling, but he didn't read it then. And to proclaim the day of the vengeance of our God. See, he will do that too. Jesus' first coming is favor. Do you see that right now? God is being patient and gracious and calling us and he's extending favor and inviting us out of the places where we're stuck in sin. But there will be a day when he comes to make good on this other call. This call to bring vindication, to bring vengeance, to bring his justice to bear on the world. And in that day, he will make all broken, ruined things right. He will heal and uh, judge all things in accordance with his kingdom, which means he will set all things right, which means he will judge all those who do not rejoice in him as savior. All those who do not rejoice in his second coming, he will judge with wrath. But there is hope. There is hope because we live in this age of favor. Let's move now to verse 10. Up until now, the speaker of this, um, of this chapter has been Jesus. But it switches here to those who have been rescued by Jesus. How did those who have been rescued by Jesus respond to his grace? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as the garden causes what is sown to be sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. The picture here is of a wedding day. It's this beautiful wedding day. When you go to a wedding, you expect all the beautiful things, right? You got the dress, the cake, the headdress, the flowers, the jewels, um, all the decorations, all the things that make that day special, unique, and say this is an important day. But the point of this passage is to say, but if you don't have the groom, apart from him and his presence, the wedding dress is pointless. Do you see that at the beginning? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. In him I get to rejoice in. See, the whole point of this final section is to say that when Jesus rescues you, the best part of him rescuing you, the best part of that wedding day won't be the dress. It won't be all the things that make it look important. It'll be being with him. It'll be being with your savior, the one who broke you free, the one who's rescued you. He set you free from a bondage so that we get him and get to experience true and lasting freedom with him forever. That's what he's saying with the robe of righteousness. He wraps you in a robe of righteousness. He not only saves you from sin, he enables you to live righteously. Like you will be fully transformed when he comes again. All the places where you are in bondage, all the places where you're struggling, all the places where you're suffering, all the hardships, he'll wrap you in a robe of righteousness and he'll enable you to live with him forever. That's a promise. All the promises that the Messiah is making in this chapter are the same promises that he would have to die in order to keep. Do you see that? That these aren't just like promises that he can just make without any consequence. Like he makes these promises 
that cost him something. He was ripped and torn and hanged on a tree to make good on these promises. Think about that. Jesus, the eternal son of God, became poor so that he could preach to the poor. Jesus's heart was crushed so that he could bind up the brokenhearted people. Jesus's heart was literally stopped so he could bind up your broken heart. Jesus allowed guards and soldiers to bind him so that he could set liberty to the captives. Jesus received the full wrath and vengeance of God so that you right now could receive and experience his favor. So you could actually experience the grace and life-giving presence of Jesus now and forever. And if you haven't been set by Jesus, man, he truly can set you free. I invite you to take him today. Like, I invite you to consider the place that you're in and that Jesus can set you free today. That looks as simple as saying, I trust you, what your word is true, that your word is true. My sin um, caused death for you. Like, you lived a perfect life that I couldn't live, and yet you took all of my sin and enslaved yourself and died for my sin so that I could be made right before God. If that's your hope this morning, we invite you to come and take communion. Here we tear a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. The glassware is juice, the stone is wine, and we have a gluten-free, allergy-free option to my right. Uh, Servers, you can go ahead and come on up. So if you're not a Christian this morning, we invite you to take Jesus. He really, truly can set you free. He can set you free. But for those of us who already are followers of Jesus, I want to read from uh, Galatians 5 real quick. Paul warns us, those of us who have taken Jesus, who have been set free by Jesus, whose lives are being transformed by Jesus, Paul says this to us, for freedom Christ has set us free. You are free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What becomes apparent here is, hey, it's possible to be set free by Jesus and still be listening to the lies. It's, it's possible to be set by, free by Jesus and still be giving over in the flesh to sin, to be um, given over to these things that want to snare us, these things that want to trap us. It's possible for you to be listening to things, our world, our flesh, and the devil who wants to like sneak the noose over our necks again and to give in to those things, but you do not have to. You actually are free and Christ has actually purchased you to be able to stand firm, to actually turn away from those things. And we so often drift back into this bondage. We coast back into anger and judgment and bitterness and haughtiness. And we drift toward this trap of pride and self-sufficiency. And we drift toward uh, entangling ourselves by things that want to trick us into being that they're good for us. These things that seem flashing, they get our attention off of God himself and we minimize what it means to glorify him with our lives and we look down in our hearts and we've been captured again by sin or some idol that's taken our attention off Jesus. And I wanna invite us to actually stand here for a moment and consider that. Would you stand with me? As we move toward communion, Hey, one of the things that's beautiful about communion and what I see happen during communion is uh, so often we just 
jump out of the aisle and run and take communion, which is beautiful and good. It's like, I need Jesus now. And we come and take communion and celebrate that way. Another way to celebrate communion is to stay where you are in prayer and to consider what God might have for you in this moment before coming and taking communion. I wanna kind of do that this morning a little bit. Where are places where, as I was talking through these things, you felt trapped, you felt stuck. You're whispering to lies that want to snare you and you've been in this pattern of being stuck here. I mean, Jesus wants to set you free from that. Like, and if you are a Christian, he has set you free. Like, what would it look like for you to surrender that to him, to repent this morning and to bring that before him and ask him to meet you there, to heal you there, to set you free from that. So my encouragement, I'm gonna pray and then we'll come and take communion, would be to stand there and consider that for a moment. Ask him to set you free. Ask him to um, open your eyes and your heart to the places where you've believed lies or have coddled sin in your life and said it was good, but it's actually, it's actually imprisoning you. Would you ask God, would you ask the spirit of God to make those things alive to you that you would see, like your eyes wouldn't be blind to that, that you would see those things and you would be able to bring those to Jesus now and maybe take a step of faith because scriptures say that we're healed when we bring these things into community, when we confess our sins one to another. So maybe it looks like you stepping out of your aisle and going to one of our prayer ministers. We have prayer ministers here at the exits that would love to pray over you. Or maybe you have someone else in your community group in the room and that's the person you need to go to. You actually don't need just somebody to pray for you. You need someone who knows you to pray for you. You actually maybe need some challenge or accountability in this as well. Go to someone you know as well. Let's use this time to not just say, quickly run down the road of, yeah, yeah, Jesus has saved me, but he saved me for what? For what? Maybe ask him that right now as I pray over us and we consider what God would have for each of us in this room. So Father God, would you meet us right now? Would you speak a word of grace? If there's, if there's words of condemnation going through our minds right now, God, I pray you would, you would, you would get that out of our minds. You do not speak a word of condemnation over us. Spirit of God, I pray you would convict us and make us aware of places where we are stuck for the purpose of getting to receive and accept your grace, your favor, your love, your presence. God, I even have in my mind, um, maybe even many of us who's, it's like, we're following you. The, the door of the prison has been unlocked and it's open, but yet we're like sitting in the cell. God, would you, would your word right now speak a better word to us? That we wouldn't count these things as worth it. We'd see you as worth it. And you've set us free for you. God, would you help us walk out of those places and into your loving arms and that we might be healed and changed by you. We wanna be a church that's with you, becoming like you, that's glorifying you. So help us to do that faithfully now. Come and take communion when you're ready.